Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back to another fan theory episode. There were so many fan theories that we could not fit them all in one episode, and so round two has begun. And we got so much good feedback on our last episode of fans chiming in about the theories we talked about last week, which was just super fun and exciting. Absolutely. I think we should start there with the fan feedback to the fan theories that were presented last week. I think this means that we have succeeded in our mission of starting a Cosmere conversation. (laughs) Exactly. We really have. And I told this to Brooke, but I will now tell the entire interwebs as well. There was a dream that's like in the back of my head when we started that happened this last week, which is just a post unrelated to me that I didn't start or have any part with the poster themselves said something along the lines of on the latest Cosmere conversation, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, ah, independent mention. Exactly. We've done it. (laughs) We've become famous. So thank you all for making us famous, famous within our tiny, tiny niche. Yes. It's a nice niche. I like it here. And we are going to first go to William, your user, William, could be anything. He was on Facebook. Uh, yeah, real names there. Hi, William. Thanks for reaching out. Who specifically wanted to add another piece of evidence that I absolutely love and completely missed regarding the music theory. Or, as someone pointed out, more appropriately titled like a vibrational or wavelength theory. Yes, I'm kind of favoring the waveform or wavelength theory. I like that as well. But the idea of limiting the theory only to music did send up a couple of red flags for our listeners. And I like that they called it out. But William added a very interesting piece of evidence. And that comes in everybody's favorite sentient object, Nightblood. Nightblood at the end of the book gets used for the first time to his full power by Zeth. And when he is filled, satiated on investiture from the perpendicularity that Dalinar opens, Nightblood begins to hum. This is not something that we have seen ever before. We know Nightblood can talk, obviously, but he has never been mentioned to hum except when he was fully filled with investiture at the end of Oathbringer. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting moment. And I remember noticing it as I was reading. But of course, we had so much to put into this theory last episode that it didn't make the cut. But now, thanks to William, it's here. He also pointed out that gravity operates as a wave uh, in, you know, the physical realm. And so he also proposed that that could mean that Shalon is giving mass to her illusions by manipulating those gravity waves. 
sort of maybe still as a resonance point in between her two powers, but also could just be, you know, part of that Lightweaver description of manipulation of various waveforms. How powerful do you get if you can manipulate all the waveforms? I know, it seems pretty... I also think that just because the Windrunner's specific surge is of gravitation, and... I'm not going to pretend that I understand physics, but I also don't 100% think that gravity and light are on the same spectrum as we talked about sound yeah. and light being on the same spectrum. Yeah, someone, I would agree with that. Yeah, someone who is better at the physics, uh, hit me up and just like confirm <laughs> or deny that gravity and light are too different to like said to be on the same spectrum. Yeah, I definitely don't know enough to exactly. weigh in on that. But Plus, anyway, just interesting thought. Yeah. One of the other things that Brandon has kind of cheated with comes specifically when talking about mass and gravity's effect on some of his characters in the magic system, specifically of uh, Furukami on Scadriel. He has mentioned that the actual way that the weight increases or decreases that Wax is so famous for in Mistborn Era 2 don't technically line up with the way that in our universe the physical world would operate. So For sure. I mean, he's writing magic, so exactly. like, give the man a little leeway. He, did, he worked pretty hard to make it like physics appropriate and it's real nice we like it a lot sam has another interesting piece of evidence to add to our discussion about cheery cheery brooke do you want to tell us about this yeah sam kind of mentioned that how we had compared lift and cheery cheery as like being able to feed off of stormlight it actually might be closer to the inverse because we kind of said oh, they're basically the same. They both feed off of Stormlight. And Sam mentioned that Lyft doesn't actually gain nourishment from Stormlight the same way that Cheery Cheery seemed to. Larkins take Stormlight and turn it into food, whereas Lyft takes food and turns it into Stormlight. Without actually benefiting from the food nutritionally. Right. Yeah, exactly. So she's always hungry. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a pretty interesting um call there to look at how they sort of have an inverse description larkins turn stormlight into food and lift turns food into stormlight this is what does this mean this it's one of those <laughs> things it's just like it seems like this means mm, something yeah there's something going on there we just don't know what it is but thanks for pointing it out sam yeah did you want to go to probably what the most popular response was and one of just the most popular theories of Cosmere fans in the entire post-Oathbringer universe. Yeah, I was going to say post-Oathbringer, we saw this a lot. Um, both just when we were like asking for people on what they wanted us to talk about from Oathbringer, as well as this fan theory, and just plenty of other places on the internet and Reddit, everything like that. Everyone is crazy about Dalinar, and they want to talk about how Dalinar could possibly be destined to put back together either honor or adenalsium itself. So this theory has many different aspects, and we're not going to go into it in as much detail as the 
music or waveform theory we presented last week, but we did want to kind of give the highlights. After Oathbringer, we know that Dalinar has taken his original vision and the original message that he got of unite them to mean put back the Knights Radiant, reform them, and he also has taken it to mean unite all the kingdoms of mankind against the Voidbringers. So he has all these kind of ways that he is interpreting the phrase unite them. The speculation by many people online, including user Jaff Wu, is that the interpretation that we should be having from Unite Them is that Dalinar will reunite all of the broken pieces of the Shard of Honor and kind of put them back together, rebirthing the Shard that was lost. There's also a tiny bit of speculation that it could be talking about all 16 shards in reference to uniting at a nauseum again. What are your thoughts on this, Brooke? So much going on here. I definitely think that we don't yet know what this whole unite them thing is all about. Obviously, he's been hearing this specific phrase for a long time, since the Way of Kings, at least. And initially, he took it to mean the High Princes. Then he was taking it to mean all of humankind. Um, In Oathbringer, of course, at the end, he unites the three realms, Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. and, And he hears it as part of sort of just his bondsmith. capabilities because that's part of being a bondsmith is to like forge connections between people and things so part of him just being a bondsmith is unite them i think it would be pretty cool if he was to reunite ad nauseum because i did sort of already think that endgame was reuniting ad nauseum anyway and i think his whole unite them thing fits really well with that so if either one of those i would favor ad nauseum over honor i just don't i don't think honor is going to get put back together now i'm not a hundred percent in on this interpretation of what we have seen so far either but here's some additional things to think about when asking yourself like okay you know why would a bondsmith a regular bondsmith be able to reunite all the aspects of honor or ad nauseum like that's not something that we've seen you know in the history of rishar and so why would dalinar be able to do that in the first place and here's some additional evidence that kind of supports a concept that dalinar has ascended beyond what it is to be a normal surge binder he's not a normal bondsmith and he's not in normal times see and i don't really i don't really buy this interpretation either maybe i just need to read the book again but i see i don't think we can say that he's not a normal bondsmith because even the last time the knights radiant were around they didn't have a bondsmith like he's the first bondsmith in who knows how long so we don't have a yardstick to measure his normalcy well this is what the user Eric Ando pointed out, he said that Dalinar might be a sliver of infinity. That phrase is used 
when a otherwise normal mortal picks up the power of a shard, but then releases it or is not consumed and destroyed by it. Other slivers would include most famously the Lord Ruler, uh, as well as Kelsier, who is a sliver for a moment of preservation's power. What Eric Ondo and other people on the internet are saying is that Dalinar ascended in the same way that like the Lord Ruler did and became a sliver because this goes back to something that the Stormfather said when Dalinar unites the three realms and he's like, hey, Stormfather bro, has this happened before? Is this like normal stuff? And the Stormfather said, no, I've been bonded to people before, but this is something different, something unique, something to do with honor. And the overall theory is that honor's power maybe in the cognitive realm, maybe in the spiritual realm, but Honor's power, some of it shifted to the Stormfather, and when Dalinar bonded the Stormfather, he got enough of Honor's power to be classified as a sliver of infinity, maybe with a lot more potential than other Surge Binders. Right, so Eric's theory is sort of that Dalinar is not a normal radiant because he bonded to the storm father who was bestowed lots of honors yeah. sliver potential but then if that is the case and the storm father was bonded previously why would that power of honor not be transferred to the previous bondsmith because the storm father didn't bond to anyone after honor had died as, as oh. like his like anger Got it. type of uh, right. uh, at mankind thing going on. And then certainly not after the recreants. Uh, I think that's possible. I, it's a I possible think theory. My like more boring interpretation sure. of that was just that Dalinar himself is exceptional. And maybe because he is more closely aligned to Honor's ideals we know that Dalinar presently is a very honorable man. Like he, Wave King style. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that is his purpose, his goal in life. Like those ideals have become a part of the fabric of his being. And so to me, his like his uniqueness and his exceptionalism is just by the force of Dalinar himself just being an awesome freaking person. I don't disagree. I think that the boring answer is also like a correct answer from what i see is like the available evidence but there is the possibility that with kind of like the boosted power of honor's spiritual power being linked to the Stormfather, which is now linked to dalinar maybe he does have a much bigger role to play could that be reuniting Honor and rebuilding honor, could that be reuniting at an Alzium? I think it's possible, but if I'm going to be honest, I do not think that Dalinar makes it out of the first five novels. Yeah. That's my thought. What do you think that the unite them is referring to, like, ultimately? Ultimately? Yeah. I think that ultimately, unite them could actually be referencing a reunification of Adenalsium in some way, or 
just on Rashar uniting honor. I don't think that that is necessarily not the answer. I just don't know if it's Dalinar's purpose to do that. Mm. I think that might become part of the big, big picture. Whereas, so here's my problem with the idea of like everybody has speculating that like the big purpose of the Cosmere is to mm-hmm. reunite ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. I simply don't see how the individual worlds that have been created can survive in a, a now new universe where Adenalsium exists. Everything, the nature, the environment, the geography, the people, right. the culture. are all every- shaped by the shard that's there. Exactly. So if you take away the shard, what happens to that planet? Yeah, and you, and you could say like, oh, it'll just be like uh, what happened post- Vin's ascension and death uh, and between Mistborn Era 1 and Mistborn Era 2. But that was just uniting two shards. Like, it wasn't even, like, uniting Ruin and Preservation. Ruin and Preservation are still there. Harmony is holding them both, and he's kind of creating this new thing, but it's the same energy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not, like, a different combination. Well, but I wonder... I don't know if it would work out. If you... Were to remake Adonalsium, like, would Adonalsium be big enough and powerful enough to sort of sustain all of those planets around the galaxy just by itself, maybe? Because it's so much larger than the shards? Obviously, it is a sum of all the parts of the shards (laughs) and all the stuff that's going on. So I don't think we could say that it doesn't have, like, the energy potential necessary because the shards of its energy potential are what created the universes that we know. I simply think that it's very difficult for me to imagine how these kind of unique worlds that are created presently could exist without the shards still individually represented. So, okay, run with me here. Got you, I'm running. (laughs) If you... Sort of take that philosophy, then you are like on Hoyd's team of you think that we need to destroy the shards like odium and autonomy in order for the shards to exist separately and in harmony with each other. I might favor that concept more than a complete reunification, Mm -hmm. but then that would be the perfect setup for Brandon to pull the rug out from under me (laughs) when I'm like, oh, of course, he's just going to kill off these things one by one when in reality he's setting up the reunification. Nay, nay. Exactly. (laughs) I I really don't know what the big picture is and I like the speculation. I like the, the guessing, but there is a lot of stuff that we still need to know on kind of like the human level. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the more rather than the cosmic. <laughs> so it's like it's fun speculation, but like I want to know what's going on on Amia. I want to oh know my gosh, yes. what the history of Shinovar is. Like I want yes. to understand how Fabrials, as well as technology like on Scadriel, are gonna be incorporated. I wanna find out about this crazy economy that's going on between all the <laughs> you Cosmere are planets. obsessed with the Cosmere economy. It doesn't make any sense sweetie (laughs) it is not something that should exist because economies take time to set up well the cosmere has been around for a long time exactly and they got all this stuff so like that's what i'm saying like i want to go just like hang out with a trader 
person spren in rashar who's just like going from port to port be like yeah this is just where we pick up spren necessary oh clothing or something like i want the most boring trips ever yeah tyler wants like the non-fiction cosmere book that's just like <laughs> a treatise on economical trading in Shadesmar. that's a really excellent title that i would be very interested oh in my God. okay moving on me and chris will just have a great time going through all <laughs> i'm the pretty trees. sure even chris would be bored very much so. She's kind of adventurous for my take. Uh, however, moving on to our next fan theory. User, I'm going to pronounce it theater because that's what it looks like. Yeah. Theater 1310. And this person's basic theory is that the eyeless steel is incorrect, which is a pretty good call considering the eyeless steel is very old. Um, and there is a high possibility of corruption, mistranslation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and their basic confusion or like point of contention for this is the fact that the Isla Steel mentions that surge binding existed prior to humans coming to Rashar. And I feel that. I have been thinking about that since Oathbringer, like, what does that mean? How did they have surges? Was it the same kind of surges? Did they have Spren? But it kind of seems like they discovered Spren when they got to Rishar. So what are these surges and how did they work? And like, this doesn't really make sense in the timeline. It doesn't make sense. And it introduces so many of those questions on the smaller scale that I'm interested in. Because what if the problem that we have, because the Isla Steel is a translation from the Don Chan, right? Right. Into a Lethe. Yeah. Okay. But the people who wrote the Isla Steel, we believe to be early listeners, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So the listeners are viewing the things that the humans can do and they name it surge binding, probably because they already have a reference point yeah so what if they're not saying the humans had surge binding i mean that's what obviously what they write down Mm -hmm. but what if they're saying is that like the humans have magic they have mastery of the surges but that doesn't necessarily have to come in the form of bonding with spren it could come in the form of technology fabrials the humans could have very could have had incredibly advanced fabrials including fabrials that would allow space travel to move from planet to planet and this could be a sign of what happened on the human world they were once very advanced with fabrial technology that used some type of spren capturing energy capturing in the same way that we understand it today but they didn't have surges they just had a much better mastery of the fabrial technology right and some different kind of investiture is what you're thinking possibly maybe void light maybe uh something Mm. else i mean it's true a entirely different planet that could have had an energy you know of odium i know that 
we kind of say now that void light is of odium. Well, maybe void light wasn't always void light. It was another type right, of energy. Right. Passion light. Yes, exactly. Like <laughs> you, you could Okay, so you remember Monsters Incorporated, the Pixar movie? <laughs> yes. Where like they power their society on screams. Oh, yeah, but, but then, then they, they find realize, out that it can be run on laughter, exactly. on giggles. <laughs> so, inste- so they have a energy source that they realize or that they lose, they lose access to with the kind of, we'll say, destruction, apocalypse in their society, whatever happened that made them leave one planet to another. And the group that lands on Rashar are kind of like, you know, a Superman uh, last of their species type of thing. And they're like, hey, we just wrecked our whole planet with Fabrils, something that you don't understand, listeners. Can we hang out on Shinovar? Hmm. Or can we hang out over here on the, the spot that looks <laughs> on like... On the nice grassy plain. <laughs> exactly. So I do think that the Elias Steel is inaccurate, but I'm not 100% convinced that it's inaccurate in the way that Theater 1310 is pointing out. Uh, I think that there just could be a lot more going on that is misunderstood about this time period. For sure. And I think that's pretty safe to say as well, considering that this like tiny piece of text is really the only thing we know about that time period at all. And then how many times have we seen Brandon use a similar trick before when he's like, oh, this document that's really, really old that I'm putting in like the epigraphs. Obviously, this is the truth. It's the real important thing. And you should totally read this and believe it's about the hero of ages. And it's definitely going to help you solve all your problems. Oops, wait, it was corrupted. Right. Which is part of Theater 1310's like argument too, is like, hey, Brandon has done this before. Like we cannot trust the in-world text, which I think is a good call. Like I for sure am skeptical of everything in world that we get now because essentially everything is from a first person narrative and it's an unreliable narrator taking a tiny step out of the world itself i really love this as a reader especially love it someone who studied history and historiography pronunciation on point as always because you have all of these documents from all of these different people from all of these different time periods that might be referencing an event that happened before any of the people that wrote those documents were alive, sometimes by hundreds or thousands of years. And everyone has their own perspective and their own agenda. Yeah. And then especially when it's an incredibly ancient text like the Isla Steel or things like that, it has been around for previous generations and then those generations had their own perspective on how things should go like we already know that after um i forget what it's called the period of time when the ardents are in charge Mm -hmm. they wipe out everything yeah yeah, all of the writings from that time like there's a bunch of stuff that's just destroyed or changed that they went in and they just like erased a sentence and was like actually this says cupcakes are delicious (laughs) um cupcakes are delicious i'm glad that they put that in there it justifies my like love of cupcakes because it's in my religious text it says right there cupcakes are delicious and i will now eat cupcakes So, yes, I think all skepticism of in-world quote-unquote knowledge is good. I want to actually turn this right into another fan theory. Okay, go for it. That 
was trying to explain something that we've only seen referenced, the scouring of Amia. Amia at one point was kind of destroyed as a society. The question that comes to everybody's mind is why? Why was it destroyed? Presented by user, use the Falcon. This concept that Amia was once powerful in large part because they had gone after the shard blades and plate that was left over from the recreants. Right, because we know that from Dalinar's vision to present day, his vision shows way more shards than they currently have on Rashar. So like, what happened to the extra ones? Theory being, perhaps the Amians took them. As a more... Cosmere aware species and definitely a Rashar aware species, we could kind of fathom that the Amians would either have known about or quickly realized what was going on in the Recreants and then may have said, especially if they were one of the leading cultures on Rashar at the time, hey, you know what? We're going to go after and pick up all these shard blades and shard plate. They could have done that and become like a civilization that could A, use that as a position of power in negotiations and then b would put put a target on their back from other civilizations if you and i a, you know alethi cavemen early alethi are looking over at the amian society and it's all beautiful and wonderful and they have all the money and power and stuff could have been like hey you know what let's go attack amia launch a big invasion there, commit some minor genocide, and you have the scouring of Amia motivated by getting more shard blades. The question still is, though, why aren't there a bunch of shard blades? It kind of explains why Amia no longer exists, but it doesn't explain, like... What happened to the blades? Yeah. Good point. So it's not a complete knock-it-out-of-the-park theory. Though, okay, like, what if... What if the shards are still there? Exactly. Hidden in some way or hidden in plain sight even. Right. Uh, Or like somehow they were able to drive the humans out of Amia before the humans could get the shards or something. I don't know. This is heavy speculation. I might cut it out. But maybe they have a type of like cloaking device over their country Amia does have something like that. We see that in Oathbringer, yeah. Okay, okay, so... There's, like, a thick fog that covers it, and then there's obviously the bank of, like, rocks and, like, stalactites sticking up to pierce any ship, and then they finally do manage to land, and, like, everyone's dead. So, like, they have, I would say, multiple cloaking devices. Yeah, and so what if that is maybe technology-based? Like, I'm now connecting all the different theories in my brain, but, like... Fabrials might be able to create mist and might be able to yeah i mean we already know that Fabrials like originated slash live in amia i think that amia is super important and use the falcon has just pointed out that one of the things that they might have done in the past that put a target on their back is collecting all the shard blades post recreants so keep amia in the back of everybody's mind Amia is always on the back of my mind. Do you want to talk about use the Falcon's second theory that mentioned Hoyd and the Ghostbloods? Yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting theory. Uh, The theory is essentially that 
Hoyd is in cahoots with the ghost bloods. At least enough to mutually benefit both parties. Not necessarily Sure, like working. he's not a ghost blood. Exactly. But he is just like working with them. He has a working relationship with well, the, the ghost bloods. Well, the ghost bloods are a Cosmere-aware group filled with at least some world hoppers. Hoyd is definitely a, a Cosmere-aware person who is capable of world hopping almost everywhere but from the letters we know that he is often not wanted or sometimes entire islands are given the ability to hate hoyd from birth like (laughs) hoyd is noticed by other shards in the cosmere and so the speculation from use the falcon is that hoyd used the ghost bloods kind of like dark network of smugglers throughout the cosmere again part of the economy of the Cosmere, to smuggle Hoyd into Oberdai. And then since Hoyd was able to get to Oberdai, sort of in return for their help in getting him there, he brought back the strange chicken, a.k.a. AVR, for Mraze. Yes, because we know Mraze has the strange chicken. We speculated that it was possible he went to OVR himself, got either the bird or the worms that actually make them magical. Uh, but this theory presented by Yusuf Alkion would say that Hoyd, we know, went to Oberdai because of the letters. He could have used the ghost bloods and everything could have been operating together or all these different scenes that we thought were kind of random were in reality connected. Uh, Use the Falcon also mentions that another thing that sort of ties into this is the fact that Wit is very present in Shallan's story, but not really in anyone else's in Oathbringer, and that that could be because he knows a little bit more about her through their mutual association with the Ghostbloods. All interesting speculation from user Use the Falcon. Our next theory comes from user Bort and user the thinking herald both kind of worked and added to this theory together so user Bort and user thinking herald presented a concept that the unmade are heralds or pieces of the heralds that were created by the torture that the heralds existed through. Yeah, so I think the the idea is that while the heralds were undergoing their torture, blocking damnation, mm-hmm. the like when they quote unquote broke under torture, literally like a piece of them, a piece of their soul or their power or something broke off and became its own sort of entity as kind of a symbol of their madness or... Failure. Yeah, exactly. I like this idea because it also explains a couple of things. One, and should be most obvious, there are ten heralds, but there are nine unmade. Allegedly. Allegedly. However, this theory would explain why. Right, because Telenolot never broke. Which means so that there, there would be would no... would not be an unmade correlating to Telenolot. 
technically there might be the beginnings of an unmade because he did break once the last time. True, true. However... Oh, there's like a little baby unmade somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere out there. Uh, What... If you follow that line of logic down the road, there is one baby broken, possibly unmade for Telenolot, but then the other unmade would have strength corresponding to the number of time their herald broke. Right, so, so each time the herald broke, that little piece of them would go and join the other pieces. Of the unmade. Right. And so you would get some unmade that are incredibly powerful because the corresponding herald was breaking all the time. I like this theory only because it helps me give maybe a little bit of better understanding to the differences that we see in the unmade, which we talked a lot about in our unmade episode. But like some of the unmade are kind of conscious and right. sentient, like and some there of them are just beats. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of continuity. There's the three great mindless spren. There's a bunch that seem like totally normal and humanoid. And I think we see in Oathbringer, too, that a lot of them are sympathetic or less uh, purely evil than we thought they were, which would make sense if it is coming from something that was not originally evil or bad. The heralds themselves. Right. I think it is... Definitely something to keep in mind as we explore more and more about the unmade in future books. Obviously, the unmade are not going anywhere. They are just going to become more and more significant. I believe that from our understanding right now, I kind of, I like this idea of a connection between the heralds and the unmade. And I was always, even back in our episode 13, I was always like, "Mm, but it doesn't work out because there are nine, allegedly, unmade and ten heralds, so it can't link up perfectly. But then this offers a perfect explanation to that. And so maybe it's just fitting the biases that I already had, confirmation bias. But I do like this idea that it explains why there would only be nine unmade. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this was at least... part of the story i still think there's more at play me too but this is like a pretty good first step could i mean here's just another interesting idea that i have in the back of my mind and has been thrown out by other people as well but the idea that the unmade are now connected to odium when they were unmade Mm -mm. but they were originally made by Mm -hmm. cultivation yeah so what about something like a piece of the herald's break off the heralds were definitely honor's thing right yeah so honor creates the heralds a piece of the heralds break off when they're being tortured and cultivation is like oh a little piece of X herald and she like tries to start making something around it. Like she takes the little bit of maybe like you think of it like seed of the herald and Mm -hmm. tries to start growing something around it, making the maid and then odium corrupts it to make them the unmade. That's interesting. I think that is like a pretty cool theory. I think that there is an, an issue and a problem which I totally fall into this trap also but 
a problem of thinking of this world as the shards like being so separate and thinking like, oh, the heralds are of honor. The surge binders are of honor. Yeah. I really. Much more crossover. Yeah. I think because if you think about surge binding, part of it is just like the power of the surges and transforming, which is cultivation's thing is like transformation and growth. Whereas honor, his part in it is the oaths that the Knights Radiant take. Yeah. Yeah, So like those are two different things. And I wonder if it's kind of the same thing for the heralds that cultivation cultivated them into this new thing that they are. They're not humans anymore. They're heralds. But the oaths that they took or what gives them power. Exactly. Were like of honor that bound them to the oath pact. I like that idea especially with the introduction of void light and void binding we i guess kind of knew it was coming or we could kind of speculate that there were other things out there but the way that void light was so similar in many ways to stormlight should maybe just point out that these things aren't all that different and they're much more interconnected than they are opposing antagonists because we have to understand that honor and cultivation have been together since the beginning but odium has been there for a long time too in the rasharian system so like all of these things now are not independent operators but they're much more connected and i i like that idea there's so many different theories now i'm trying to create one uber theory that connects them all together okay wait i just thought of something okay so we know from the ars arcanum that there is surge binding void binding something that is quote even more esoteric Mm -hmm. end quote which we can assume is some kind of cultivation magic and And then there is the old magic yes okay okay hold on but stay with me got you old magic maybe that is the original magic of the humans it's old possible so you're saying wouldn't that make sense that like it doesn't fit in with the other three it's kind of this other thing and it's called old yeah i mean obviously the (laughs) name pointing out that it's old could just go like what's the oldest thing that we know of okay well that would be the humans on ashen yeah so what if the old mat well no because the old magic is a thing that is like referenced on the only thing we know about the old magic is they think that that's what the night watcher uses. uses but that's it that's all we know about it and who's to say if that's even true since apparently half the time people went to see the Night Watcher, it was actually cultivation <laughs> and not the Night Watcher at all. Even though it was, I think that's more of just the characters <laughs> that we're following in the world. I do agree. Here's my problem with that idea. I think that what we could be seeing is that Fabrial technology, slash if you want to call it magic, that's cool too, comes from the humans possibly dating back as far as Ashen. See, but we just learned that Fabrials work because of captured Spren. So how would that exist pre-Surge Binding and pre-Rishar and pre-Spren? Because you can capture speculation. You can capture different forms of energy. They knew a way to capture different forms of energy other 
than just capturing Spren. But a Spren is different from Stormlight. If it was Stormlight captured, I would say, yeah, sure. But it's not. It's Spren. That's what they do on Rashar because there's Spren available. There could have been something else available on Ashen. So here's what I think. I think the old magic is more referencing something pre-shattering. I think it's referencing Adenalsium's magic. Oh. Old, old magic. Like legit. Real old. <laughs> ancient magic. Literally before the universe. No, because <laughs> we know that there was a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah, that's true. We know that, well, we know it's likely that Adenalsium was there before anything else. So I would just kind of speculate that, okay, Rashar has Spren before Honor and Cultivation show up. Rashar has animals before, and we believe that they have bonded animals like Rishadium, great shells, and whatnot. Isn't it possible that Honor and Cultivation showed up short time later? Were the listeners there before Honor and Cultivation? We don't know. I don't think we know. So the listeners might have been there pre-honor and cultivation but like honor and cultivation show up they start doing their thing humans are on ashen who knows if that's done by honor and cultivation but like everybody references the old magic as the old magic so it would in my mind just have to predate everyone and the only thing that predates everyone is like pre-shattering you know maybe maybe it's also one of those things where if the timeline is long enough obviously it's going to be old to everyone it doesn't matter if you're a human you weren't alive when the old magic was regular magic. Yeah. It's weird because everything is old to them. Like they have stories right. of surge binding and stories of the old magic and stuff. I just feel like there is so much weird stuff going on that we really don't understand. I yeah. feel I'm falling deep in like speculation territory. I know. Like just going down the rabbit hole in my brain, but I'm just like, we don't know anything about anything. <laughs> no, it's we don't. so hard because the best we can do is kind of offer speculation and try to confirm with text that we have. But in reality, it's possible this is still a fluid concept in (laughs) Brandon's brain. Like these things are not necessarily a hundred percent nailed down. He might have a kind of soft understanding or outline of what's doing all the connections, but it could just be like adenosium is connecting everything and, and not really thought out down to the level of details. So I absolutely love the speculation and the back and forth that was created with this couple of fan theory episodes. Yeah, so much good interaction. It was super fun. And we definitely want to encourage that because Brooke and I have come to a point where we feel like it is like the off season for us. There is not a lot on the Cosmere plate. We have covered pretty much all of the Cosmere books and like behind the scenes lore as well. And as I'm sure you guys are aware, we are kind of Cosmere abandoned for the next year or more. We have one thing being released in the Cosmere, and that's actually coming up at the end of February. Just a couple weeks, yeah. That's White Sand Volume 2. We are going and planning on doing a Volume 1 and Volume 2 breakdown and talking about the 
lore and mythology of the very interesting Tall Dane, but it is a comic book, and so that one's going to be... Well, they're graphic novels. Give it the respect it deserves. I do not say comic book with any disrespect, so I was giving, I was saying, praise be to the comic book of the Cosmere. But they are, they're shorter. They don't have as much content as a novel does, which is why we haven't done White Sand yet. But I think with two volumes, we'll have enough to talk about. So we'll be back, I don't know, probably early March. To talk about the White Sand for sure. And... In between and possibly afterwards as well, we kind of imagine that our future episodes will be based on conversations between the fans and ourselves. So if you have theories, toss them out, throw them out. If you have ideas, if you just say, hey, I want to talk about this aspect of the Cosmere. Yeah, if you're sitting on the train just thinking about the Cosmere and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a fantastic idea. I need to tell someone. Please tell us. And then we will sort of get all of those ideas together and we can put together some more uh, Cosmere Conversations episodes. But we will be sort of tapering off. Yeah, kind of just like shifting into... Off-season mode. Exactly. And we have no problem in the future with turning it back on when things get going. (laughs) On that note, please hit us up on reddit you can find us on the stormlight archive subreddit user cosmere convo facebook and twitter we want to continue the conversations we will amongst ourselves yeah, and we, we want to continue them among you we really need to all stick together during this cosmere drought if we like hold hands and hum together we'll get through it much like nightblood hums when he is filled with investiture we will get through it Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. quick test of with you should i do an accent on this one only if it is as good as tahani's it will be even better i can guarantee Splendid. i love the way she says chitty chitty that's chitty i knew you weren't a soup <laughs> i knew you weren't a soup very good tahani as eleanor okay hello world singers i know that part i just wanted to make sure we said hello you can say greetings or i wanted bonjour world singers bonjour 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 <laughs> there goes the baker with his tray like always do, 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 do. every morning just the same since the morning that we came to this poor provincial town good morning bell <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to cut that out and throw it into the universe. It's not even part of the podcast. Maybe at the very end of the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, we need like a blooper episode. <laughs> it would be very long.